Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1156, with guest Rocky Ladka. Recorded Thursday, June 11th, 2015. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. I'm on the East Coast, you're on the West. Together, we're somewhere in the middle. Which is about where Rocky is, I guess. That's right. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, we'll talk to Rocky Laka in a few minutes. But uh, first, how's everything going out there on the West Coast? Pretty good. Weather's been awesome. The whole family's in different corners of the world. Wife's in Shanghai, older daughter in Kyoto, huh. younger daughter, somewhere driving across Canada. I think she's in Alberta at this point. You know, when I was a kid, we could drive to Alberta in the morning and come back for dinner, and nobody would say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't know either, but that's okay. All right. Well, roll the music, because I got something fun. Awesome. <laughs> All right, dude. Better know a framework meeting. Yeah, it's actually the opposite of fun, but sometimes Uh-oh. necessary. And... Uh-huh. Uh, .NET developers have been dealing with SQL databases as much as, I'm not the DBA type, the developer type, right? We have right. to deal with the reality of databases, and sometimes we have to make copies of them. Sometimes we have to back them up and restore them. And I haven't hadn't done this in a long time, so I went looking. And, of course, there's a great way to do this in Azure. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash DB. Azure Copy DB. Right. It's just an article that shows how to use the import and export service in Azure SQL databases. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it's it's right on the portal. You just have a database. There's an export button. You click it. You basically have to set up a blob storage account. Right. But once you have that, you just pick it, and you give it a name, and uh, it goes off and it does its thing. And when it's done, you can restore it to another database name, even on another server. So you're actually backing up Azure SQL to blob storage. To blob storage and then restoring it from blob storage to any other database. A new one that you can create from it. Nice. Yeah. All right. I get it. That's interesting. And it's very helpful. It's not really framework, but it's stuff you should know, learn, and love. It's cloudy stuff. Cloudy stuff. Yeah. All right. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a show 1068, the one we did with one Rockford Lotka, where we talked about, you know, the whole universal app thing. And there's sort of a comeback about .NET and C Sharp. And uh, Scott Nimrod, who I just went back and checked, and we've never sent this guy a .NET Rocks mug. And he's been commenting on our site for a long time. Well, it's about time he got one. So he's got a tablet show mug, which is the rare and precious one, because there's no more of those. Mm -hmm. But he's about to get a .NET Rocks mug, because I really appreciate this comment. Scott, he says... It's a sad time to be a mobile developer. Hmm. 
As an industry, we have literally deprecated industrial strength technologies such as C-sharp and XAML. Okay, if it's literally the incorrect version of literally, which is now apparently the correct version, which is actually figuratively, <laughs> then okay. We were having this conversation before the show about destroying language. How is there any other way to deprecate? Can you right. can you not literally or figuratively deprecate? How could you figuratively deprecate? What does that you mean? You either deprecate or you don't deprecate. Right. There is no literally. And C-sharp and XAML are not deprecated. No. Moving along. Yeah. Along with their industrial strength tools like expression blend post sharp and so on for barely industry capable technologies that are not designed for engineering solutions like javascript and css okay so scott's opened angry as mobile developers we have convinced ourselves that it is not in our interest to focus our efforts on solving real world problems instead the media and msdn homepage encourages both seasoned and new developers to focus their amazing abilities on building more angry birds apps and photo sharing applications oh yeah Yep. In conclusion, I am extremely disappointed in what our industry values. Personally, I would be uncomfortable riding in a 757 whose takeoff and landing logic was written in JavaScript. Hmm. However, our industry encourages us to believe that error-prone programming languages that lack the backing of industrial strength tooling are better than industry-proven and well-designed programming languages. Did we really earn our college degrees to contribute to flappy bird applications <laughs> in society? I'm not so sure. But as we approach 2015, and we're not approaching it, we're in it now, I sincerely hope that amazing developers are rewarded for making this world a better place by supporting the technologies that reflect industrial-grade engineering and building apps that solve problems instead of selecting Kool-Aid technologies and contributing to a world of already connected zombies. Hmm. I have a bit to say about that, but I'm going to wait. <laughs> I'm going to wait and hold my tongue. I, know, I think it's a perfect time. All right. Well... Yeah, you know, I talked to middle schoolers once, and I said, what is the internet to you? And they said, Flappy Bird. There you go. Yeah. And then, you know, it's a problem of what to talk about in the media. The media, and us included, need to talk about stuff we don't already know. We need to talk about the next thing. We need to talk about things that will help us be more productive, be, you know, get better at what we're doing. And it often is bleeding edge stuff that, uh, that a smaller percentage of the overall development environment community is working on. And there are more people who are maintaining apps, but it's not exciting to talk about that. Yeah. It's building new things are always more, more interesting. You know, thinking in terms of middle schoolers and even adult developers, people love the IOT thing. Those little kits of oh, yeah. parts and software that you can make blink lights and respond to gestures and stuff. You know, folks are getting really excited about that. I just donated a handful of Raspberry Pis to my daughter's middle school. Very nice. Yeah. Very I don't know nice. if they'll know what to do with them, but I, here you go. Yeah. Look it up. And, it, you know, and I, this, Scott wrote this six months ago, which is the last time we talked to Rocky. And I don't know. Was it that grim then? I don't think it was. Maybe he's just taking a dark <laughs> view of it. You know, there was... You go back to 2011 when we were starting the tablet show. That was a time when Microsoft was strong, ignoring .NET and strongly advocating JavaScript. But that time has passed. Yeah. The, both these lang, and I have nothing bad to say about JavaScript that I haven't already said. You know, they're, that it has its capabilities. They're doing great things with it, but C sharp's alive and well and growing. If you made a list of skills, that made up the range of talents that our listeners have, I bet it'd be a hundred long. And so when you hear, if you're, if you're not a JavaScript developer and you hear, you know, JavaScript show, JavaScript show, JavaScript show, you might get the sense that, oh, well, it's all JavaScript. Then I should stop doing what I'm doing and focus on JavaScript. 
Um, you know, and it's a little blowback from that, maybe just to, in terms of what people are talking about. But, uh, you know, that, that doesn't mean that we're not going to address the things that you're interested in as well. Yeah, and the other side of this is the whole Flappy Bird, Angry Bird thing, which is the gold rush mentality that happened around phone apps. Absolutely. And, and that's not the first gold rush. What do you think the dot-com boom was? Yeah. You know, we have gold rushes every so often. The fact that we've had more than one, it sort of speaks to the viability of our industry. Yeah. But I think it's also a really interesting time to be a mobile developer because mobiles penetrated the consumer market hugely yeah. and businesses need to get on board. What a great time to be a developer. Right. Sure. So, Scott, thank you so much for coming. And thanks for being a real loyal listener. You've commented on a lot of shows over the years. I think I've messaged back with you a few times, and I'm just embarrassed now checking. I don't think we've ever sent you a .NET Rocks mug, mm. but I'm fixing that. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the Facebooks, Google Pluses, wherever we post. We read all of those, too, and I'll read one on the show and send you a mug. Yep, that's right. Send us a tweet. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And uh, anytime, day or night. That's the great thing about Twitter. It's 24-7. Indeed. Yeah. And that brings us to our guest. Rocky Lotka is the CTO at Magenic, one of the nation's premier Microsoft Gold certified partners dedicated to solving today's most challenging business problems. He's the creator of the widely used CSLA.net open source development framework and is the Microsoft regional director and MVP. Rocky speaks at many conferences and user groups around the world. Welcome back for probably the 20th time on .NET Rocks, because it's been a long time, right? Yes. Welcome. Yeah, somebody punch a hole in his card, because <laughs> at some point he gets a free coffee mug or something. Yeah, absolutely. CSLA started as like a, a chapter in one of your books, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, back in the, uh, well, I don't know, last century. <laughs> <laughs> it was, actually. I just looked it up. 15th show. Wow. And the first one was show eight in 2002. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right around the kickoff. It was pretty exciting times. Yeah. It's still exciting times, isn't it? Oh, wait a second. Before we get into this, you're alive, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's perhaps the most exciting thing of all. Yes, yeah, I am. It's wonderful to hear your voice. You've done some crazy things to your body, dude. I'm, I'm amazed. Well, the doctors did some crazy things to your body. I'm not sure. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't really me as much as, as uh, surgeons. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great that you're here. I'm now partially cybernetic, so it's all cool. You really have a cyborg implant somewhere? Well, my uh, the, the almost like 99.9% .9 of my uh, aorta, which is the you know the thing that takes the blood from your heart all the way through the rest of your body. Yeah, the main valve. The main deal is is now um, apparently it's something called Hemashield, which is similar apparently to Gore-Tex. Wow. Yeah, I've heard this. That Gore-Tex was actually originally invented as a medical product. And then, you know, then they figured out it was good for other things, too. But Huh. Yeah. Wow. Let's hear it for uh, Gore-Tex heart valves. <laughs> <laughs> but it's this is your main blood vessel. It runs, you know, from your head to your crotch. And you've got a replacement one. Yeah, exactly right. I can't think of any easy way to change that out. It's not a factory <laughs> option. No, no. It, it took them like 14 hours from wow. uh, the point that I went into the, uh, you know, went into surgery. And then when I came back out. Wow. So it's amazing. Pretty intense. So build lots of stuff about Windows 10 
lots of options for developers. We have a lot to talk about, my friend. Oh, yeah. And I find, you know, to, to the whole comments about, you know, the dark, gloomy view of, you know, this is exciting times. I, I think that um, Microsoft really has a good shot with Windows 10. I think that they're, uh, the fact that they've re-embraced .NET as their primary focus obviously makes me very excited. Yeah. Uh, you know, not like they're ignoring all the JavaScript stuff. In fact, just yesterday they released uh, a new uh, primary big version of uh, WinJS, which looks like it has shifted to be a, a UI component um, kind of framework for cross-platform. Uh, you know, so it's not like they're ignoring the JavaScript world at all, but um, certainly Windows 10 and, you know, on the phone, on the computer tablet is the primary focus is returned to .NET, which is where they should have been in the first place, if you ask me. Yeah. Well, and, and I think one of the things that Scott Nimrod was hinting at there was this idea of just XAML, be, XAML being ignored. And I feel like XAML showing up everywhere. Like, why wouldn't we use XAML on the phone or any of these form factors? Like, isn't was this a natural fit? Well, it seems like it because it compiles, right? right. Uh, you know, unlike you know, HTML and CSS are really powerful and there's a lot to be said for them, but it's not well designed or not consistently designed over the, you know, what, 15 or 20 years that it's been out there. And so the idea of being able to compile it the way that XAML gets compiled into actual native code, um, yeah, I, don't, I doubt that'll ever be reality, um, right. at least with, with, you know, the random HTML that's out in the world. Effectively, there's a bunch of different compilers. We call them browsers. There's a few other ones, you know. If you think about it, this is the sort of the, the multi-partner, multiplayer problem or situation. You know, one of the reasons Apple is so successful is because it controls the technology in its iPhone. There's doesn't have to consult with Google and it doesn't have to consult with Microsoft. You know, it doesn't have to play with everybody else's HTML or whatever, uh, or, you know, I don't mean HTML, but everybody else's version of Xcode or, do you know what I'm trying to say for native applications? And XAML is Microsoft's thing, right? So it has that same benefit of being able to um, innovate without having to, you know, unlike a browser and unlike everybody else in the world who's using uh, JavaScript and HTML, doesn't have to wait for an organization to come around and tell it what to do. Well, that's true, but I think what I was getting at is at a deeper level, which is that XAML, um, if, if we just take out the WPF, Silverlight, you know, whatever aspects of it, XAML right. in and of itself is an XML language that describes how to create um, object instances and set properties on them. And, you know, so it lends itself to being compiled into native code in a way that something like HTML can't. Or well, or doesn't can't is an awfully strong word, I guess. But um, yeah, so then you see XAML. Uh, certainly, Xamarin uses it um, and has their own set of objects, you know, through Xamarin forms that they're creating. Uh, but we've seen XAML being used for other things like workflow definitions and so forth. And you know, it, it's a pretty powerful conceptual um, technology irregardless of how it's applied to WPF or, or uh, universal apps and so forth. And I think that ties into this whole mobile space in an important way because what we see, 
at least in my observation and the, and the work that we've done at Magenic is that, um, it's really hard, if not impossible to get the kind of performance that you, that end users want on a phone or a low powered tablet. If you're doing HTML and JavaScript, right. And, and, you know, maybe that'll change over the years, but right now, if you can get either true native code, you know, handcrafted objective C or, or whatever, um, or, um, something like Xamarin that compiles to native code, um, you can get substantial performance benefits and that's on, on these low powered devices. That's a big deal. Then Microsoft's never even really, maybe I'm wrong here. If they really tried to make XAML cross-platform, I mean, typical of Xamarin that they're right away going cross-platform XAML. But I guess Silverlight did that. Silverlight used XAML and it ran on the Mac. Yeah, exactly right. And I think if if um, Apple had not blocked plugins, and in particular Flash and Silverlight, right? You know, today we might be living in a Silverlight world, at least from a you know .NET developer perspective. But um, you know that that confluence of events where the iPad and iPhone were on the rise, and Apple said no plugins, yeah. and I mean it, it really derailed that whole effort. Yeah, Silverlight, the, the story of Silverlight isn't one of bad technology. It was just bad timing. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. I think it was excellent technology. Yeah, and I don't put any malice in Apple's decision there. I mean, it, the, Silverlight wasn't even on their radar. It was Flash, and right. Flash was destroying the performance of devices right. because it was so inefficient on these mobile devices. And the security and, uh, and everything else. Plugins represent an awesome vector for malware. Yeah. So there was an argument for why to do this. It's just, and Silverlight, for better or worse, is collateral casualty. No, I I find the whole, and and I realize this is controversial, but I find the whole move toward more uh, controlled app deployments through stores and so forth um, to be overall a good idea. Right. Um, You know, like, like probably most of the people listening to this program, I'm the tech support for my family and my neighbors and, um, you know, the, the less opportunity that those people all have to accidentally download what looks like a real app, but turns out to be a virus, the more time I get back to spend doing fun things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, you know, funny, I had this conversation at a party on the weekend with a fellow's like, you're in computers. Why is it that I have all these virus problems on my PC and I don't have them on the iPad? I'm like, because all your iPad can do is surf the web and, and do your email. It says, well, that's all I do. It says, well, you really don't need a PC. <laughs> PCs do a lot more than that. And if you don't need to do those things, don't use it. Of course, that's, that doesn't make Microsoft happy. They want to sell surfaces to surf the web and do email. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then we come back to, you know, why, why is it? You know, and I think this is where one area where Windows 8 did the right thing is that it's essentially impossible uh, to get a non-store app onto a, especially a Windows RT device. Yeah, back when they existed. But um, obviously that one benefit didn't offset the reality that that Microsoft changed the uh, user experience so radically f- from yeah, what, what, there's like a billion Windows users, right? And right. All, all of them didn't know how to use this new thing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Coder Foundry. Coder Foundry is the country's premier .NET boot camp, teaching students the full-stack .NET framework, 
plus AngularJS in just 12 weeks, with job placement services available upon graduation. New classes start July 6. To apply online or learn more, visit coderfoundry.com slash rocks. All right, so through the age of Sanofsky that brought us WinJS and the, the Windows Store and all of that, and .NET really kind of took a backseat, at least in the PR, um, we're, we, we evolve here to come to a place where C sharp is king. Not only king, but it's, it's sort of like, uh, a lingua franca. It's no longer about .NET, really. Doesn't it seem more about C sharp? Yes and no. Certainly, I, I agree with you that, that the language is key and, and it's become, uh, dominant in, in, on par with Java, C, COBOL, I mean, you know, through, and, and not to disparage any of these, I'm just saying that, yeah. you know, over time, you know, languages go through their phase of being so widespread that they're ubiquitous. But, um, like Java, I think C sharp is only useful to most of us if a large chunk of the base class libraries come with. Right. And, and you know, and a certain set of runtime behaviors. So that, that is kind of like, you know, that's, that's dot net, right? Right. But, you know, ASP.NET, it's .NET. On Windows, it's, what is it? Is it .NET in a Windows Universal app? Do we call it that? Is it, I, I mean, I know it's the same stuff, but, I mean, it's sandboxed and it goes through the App Store. It's a lot like... It looks like a duck and quacks like a duck. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and, and, but it is true. Right now, we've got this confusing deal, if, right. if you dig into it, where... Even universal apps, there are two kinds of them. There's the WinRT universal apps, and then there's the .NET Core universal apps. And it feels to me like the RT apps are, are going away. Am I overstating the case? Well, uh, so on Windows 10, if we broaden that, to, I think to answer your question, there, there's kind of three things going on. Because on Windows 10, the desktop came back with a vengeance. Right, right. So, you know, things like WPF all of a sudden become a lot more relevant than they were just a year ago. But yeah, let I'm going to put an asterisk next to that one. Keep going. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and and then there are still you know WinRT apps which are now called, you know, universal Windows platform apps. And then or UWP and then there's the new kind of UWP which is the .NET Core. But the .NET Core stuff is still pretty immature even the tooling in visual studio 2015 um yeah and a lot of the technologies around.net core i think have maybe a couple of years to go before they are compelling to most people so i really do think that if you're looking at building windows 10 apps it's either wpf or uh the winrt style uwp yeah, so my asterisk is it seems now there's three ways to build a Windows desktop app. There's WinForms, there's WPF, and then there's Universal App. Universal apps, they have slightly different looks, slightly different programming interfaces, you know, completely different interfaces if you're talking about WinForms. Um, so I guess the question is, you would decide that what to use based on what you have and wh where you plan to go, right? Because WPF, if you've got an existing WPF, I guess now you can put that in the Windows Store and sell it through the store and run it in a virtualized sandbox on Windows 10. And if you uh, want to take advantage of the universal platform, you can now go to 
Xbox into mobile phones and all of that other stuff. Yeah, I think that's uh, that is the decision tree. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I kind of doubt that we'll see, and, and we haven't for years, a lot of new uh, greenfield work with Windows Forms. Right. But obviously, there's a ton of existing apps that are under maintenance, and you know, maintenance like like you guys were talking about earlier in the show, you yeah. know. But but the reality doesn't is get the attention it deserves, man. It yeah, doesn't. But you know, <laughs> maintenance sometimes means writing an entire new chunk of functionality. So that's even right. It's not technically greenfield. It yeah, you. It's not like it's small potatoes either. No. Right? And and uh, let's be clear, they spend a lot of money on Windows Forms. You know, on yes. tools. Just ask Developer Express and Telerik and all those companies. There's still a lot of development going on in Windows Forms. Yep. And now yeah. and and now that you can put it in the store and you can have an enterprise store makes it even more attractive. Well, and I do think that enterprise store cuz most of these apps are are not likely to ever become commercial apps that regular people buy. But having a um consistent deployment model built right into windows itself for your line of business apps is pretty compelling mm-hmm. and, and about time. I mean, it's, you know, obviously this is one of my hot button issues for since windows eight came out was that something needed to be done that actually made this viable. And I, I think they made major strides in the right direction, both for desktop and for WinRT apps. Yeah. It feels like we're suddenly there. It's just still the, Coming out of build, I was confused. I still wasn't really sure what the dev model is. I think it's up to us. I, I honestly do. I think that um, it's it's a lot like Carl said. You've if if you've got the luxury of a greenfield scenario, then you have to look at how far do you plan to reach. And in today's world, to me at least, it seems. Um, like if I was starting to build a new business app for Windows, I'd also want to make sure that it had the possibility at least of running on an iPad, especially with all the rumors now of, of Apple creating an iPad that competes with the Surface and so it has a keyboard and mouse. Yeah. Right. And all those cheap Android tablets that are out there, um, you know, an IT guy might get kind of excited and go, woohoo, we could save a bunch of money buying, you know, cheap disposable Android tablets. And so if I'm going to write a new app, I think I would want to target something like WinRT that is reasonably cross compatible with Xamarin so that I have a chance or, and, and maybe even set out with my strategy to day one, build this to be cross platform, um, at least on the, you know, on the client device side, not that that's free, but it's no. at least it's become practical, right? Yeah. Well, and, you know, the problem I have with the whole universal app moniker is this, okay, universal amongst the Microsoft world, but it's a heterogeneous client world now. How are we going to incorporate iOS and Android into this equation? Well, and that's where it would be really nice if either Microsoft extended the uh, the universal set of XAML controls from UWP um, into iOS and Android, or if uh, Xamarin was able to create direct clones of them instead of, you know, I mean, Xamarin forms is pretty cool and, and has a lot 
of, of I think good features and so forth, but it's XAML is not at all compatible with universal XAML from Microsoft. Right. Ah, uh, well, you know, funny, we've always had this fragmentation with XAML, haven't we? I mean, it's oh, since yeah. day one. Yep. Right. WPF, Silverlight, Phone 7. Remember that, XAML? Like, is it just that XAML is too complicated that you can't implement the whole thing? It's just too big? Well, it's not. Again, it comes back to, I think, it's not actually XAML. It's the underlying object model that you're using XAML right. to describe. So it is kind of tricky to say, boy, you know, like something simple like a button. I think it's pretty reasonable to think that you could create a uh, an object model describing a button that would be common across every platform. But then when you get to slightly more complex things like um, uh, scrolling lists or, or you know, some sort of uh, uh, grid view control, um, not to say that you can't make a, an API that's consistent, but it's quite challenging to say, oh, I, you know, I'm going to create an API that lets me exploit the heck out of Windows, but also works on, on an iPhone without change. Yeah. You know, even though the device capabilities are so different. And what was the code name? Was it Islandwood out of coming out of build? Right. Yep. And I don't think anybody saw that coming. Like that, no. I think that was a total blindside. That was quite exciting. I thought, well, and now that Apple's going to open source Swift, um, you know, if, if they actually follow through and make it, uh, you know, standards based, um, I think that opens the door for Microsoft to, uh, um, you know, cross compile some of that stuff directly into windows too. Yeah. 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 Well, it, but it's not the, now the question is, is Island would really for iOS developers to work in studio or for studio developers to build for iOS? Yeah, I, I think. It's it's a good question. <laughs> Maybe a little of both. A little of both. I, yeah. I think, you know, I mean, because there's multiple problems that Microsoft is, I think, trying to address. And, and in a sense, I really think they're they're throwing a few things against the wall to see what sticks. Sure. And, you know, so they need to get more apps into Windows and Windows Phone. And making it easier for people who are not Microsoft developers to target the Microsoft platform without ever even learning the Microsoft platform. Uh, you know, there's some value there maybe. And then making it easier for non-Microsoft developers to become Microsoft developers is obviously attractive. You know, but that may be a tall order for people as well. So like, it, it, try a little of each and see what happens. Yeah, you know, and Studio is very much a Kool-Aid thing. Like, once you're hooked on it, it is very hard to give it up. Mm. People want to work, you know, talk to lots of folks. It's like, I'm not interested if it doesn't run in Studio. But if you're on the other side of that, Studio is intensely daunting. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it is a monolith of an app. There's no other way to describe it. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is. Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. Yes. Time to define a new type of enterprise application, Redfield apps. These started 20 years ago as a greenfield app, turned into a brownfield app, then turned dark brown from being burned down and rebuilt. <laughs> and then finally, the field turned red with the blood of .NET developers and managers battling for control. Dude, that's a dark place to go with software. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Ripia is a dawn. Maybe we could call Redfield apps the uh, iOS and .NET developers trying to get it to work as a universal app. Uh, yeah. That could be a Redfield. Anyway, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, Telerik DevCraft is the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. With the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. Awesome, dude. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Neil Hans. Congratulations, Neil. Golf clap clap for you, you, sir. sir. Clappers for you. Got the clappers. And uh, Neil just won the Telerik DevCraft collection, a big pile of awesome from Telerik, our sponsor today. And if you don't know what we're doing, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsor and Every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. And uh, Rocky, it's your turn. I don't know how many times we've asked you this question, but... At least 15. At least, well, maybe not well, 15. Maybe not. <laughs> okay, you, have got, you got five grand in your pocket. You're going shopping. What are you buying? You know, at Build, they were on stage with a computer showing all the DirectX 12... Um, stuff uh, with the, the square enix uh, uh demo you know yeah it, and they had that computer on stage that i think had four um i don't even remember what they were called titanium or something video cards yeah um i bet that thing plus the monitors to really take advantage of it that's got to be close to five grand probably and would that not be cool especially because <laughs> i, I kind of like to play the occasional you know video game and and uh <laughs> What couldn't that run? Yeah, no kidding. Well, and then there's the whole Surface Hub thing, and the prices started coming out for that. It's twenty grand for the big one, but there's a smaller one for seven. Yeah, and you know, if if you guys had not cut it off at five, I probably would have said that. But <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm looking for, Richard. Maybe you can tell me. Huh? I'm looking for a longer, more wide than high, like twice as wide as high monitor that is touch enabled. Oh, there you go. And yeah. and the reason is that um, uh, Presonus Studio One just came out with a new version, and it is all touch friendly. Wow! And multi-touch point, and uh, they they also have an iPad remote version, so you can run the whole thing remotely with an iPad. But I I've always wanted a mixing console that was on the screen that that was long, you know. Like maybe 50 inches by 18 inches, right? Yeah, that's really big. Because you know I have that 34-inch 21 by 9 screen, right? Yeah, I've got two 30-inchers. Yeah, but those aren't 21 by 9. Like the 21 by 9 is really wide. Yes, yeah. Right? And and it's the 3440 by 1440, but not touch. Right. But you're fall in love with it, man. Like it's it for certain things, and gaming's one of them, dude. When in gaming on that screen, something like Kerbal Space Program, like when you have these great vistas to look at, that display really grabs you. Hmm. So, but yeah, you know, what about something like Photoshop or Presonus or something like that? But it's just the problem is, it, you, 
I don't know that you can get touch that big. I don't, I don't know that you want to touch this thing. It's really wide. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I wouldn't put it up perpendicular to the desk. I would lean it. I would build a desk around it. So yeah. that would be more Star Trek console-ish. Yeah, that you're exactly right. It's got to be that kind of posture. And just like a regular mixing board has a slight slant to it, maybe, I don't know, 28 degree incline, something like that, 20 degree incline. Uh, Rocky, with your five grand and you wanting a good gaming monitor, this 34-inch curved display has been the most amazing thing. It's I've actually played more games because the monitor is so pleasing. (laughs) That's that's quite a testament. Yeah, I like that. Awesome. I do not have a lot of time. You know, I play a little Kerbal because each mission's maybe an hour. So Sunrise over Moho, which is the equivalent of Mercury, with a little interplanetary explorer, just awesome on this display. Hmm. I've played a little Kerbal. I keep killing all my Kerbals. It's not good. Don't kill Kerbals. <laughs> but, uh, lately, I've been playing uh, Elite Dangerous, and oh uh, yeah, that's another one where the big screen would be amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just the space scene; it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it's yeah. I I play poorly because I'm so enamored of the vision of it. It's so beautiful to look at. I'm literally looking at the st- the space station and fly into it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> It is, yeah. I was a I was a Kickstarter backer for for Elite in the beginning. I mm. don't have a lot of cycles for it because it just takes too much time. It does. But boy, it's gorgeous. Time sucker. We got to go back to work. We do, unfortunately. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about work here and there. What uh, of all of the new things? What is the perhaps the most interesting to you of all the new things that you saw build? Maybe around Universal Apps, maybe not. Well, I think. We already touched on it. The probably the most interesting and and just to watch this unfold is the the variety of ways that you can either leverage uh, .NET code for other platforms or take other platform code and bring it into Windows. And I, you know, like I said, I, I do think Microsoft is you know taking kind of a shotgun approach. And I find yeah. that kind of exciting because I want to, you know, see which ones actually gain traction and which ones, you know, don't. Um, certainly, you know, on my, I have a Windows phone and, and, and frequently the, um, you know, browser, you know, go to somebody's website and they'll say, hey, we've got an Android app. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of excited, frankly, about the prospect of finally being able to try out some of those apps. Now, maybe they're all you know, crap, but I want to find out. <laughs> but okay, so there is a difference though. And it's not like, and I know they tried to do this, and this is what I would really like, is if you could take your app that you've uploaded to the Google Play Store, your Android binary or bytecode or whatever it is, and run that uh, through the Windows Store and have the Windows Store take it apart and figure out what it has to do to run on Windows and perhaps the answer is for, and I've said this before, so uh, the answer may be for Microsoft just to do an Android shell that just has the UI of Windows Phone, but it runs Android apps. And I think they tried that, didn't they? With one of those Nokia phones that was going to be an Android phone, but it had the look of Windows Phone. It seems like there was some rumors around that. I, I don't know how far that actually ever went in reality because if you think about it what i like about windows phone isn't the os i don't care about the operating system it's the it's the experience of it 
it's a great, ex- it's the best experience I've had them all. And it's the best experience. I still have to get five t- finger touches or swipes or buttons just to do anything on the iPhone. It's like five swipes, you know? But isn't that the OS? I mean, that, that's the, I, I mean, differentiate the shell from the OS. No, yeah, it's the shell. No. It's the shell. I mean, I think that, I think that shell could be written on top of an Android OS. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I, I think you're probably right. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't seem, you know, you listen, especially to the, to the, um, Apple, you know, keynotes and, and whatever. And, you know, the new version of, of OS 10 is coming out and it's this, this, and this, and they yeah. never talk about any of the technical stuff. It's all the new consumer end user features right. that are usually part of the shell. And I don't think. You know, so, so you and I, as technical people, might say, "Oh, well, the shell and the OS are technically not the same." And mm. especially if you're a Linux person, you know that for a fact. But, right. Right. Um, but to most people, the shell and the OS are the same thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just saying, can it be done? One of the problems that and the challenges of that is defaulting to Microsoft's services. You know, instead of Android services like Google Play and gmail and all of that stuff um would have to be done but but i mean think about having that experience of you know having the the contact hub which is brilliant you know having tiles on the front that are people and i just go to the front and i hit the person and then whatever i want to do right there it's like one click um you know have that but still be able to run android apps and have the navigation of the shell. I just think that that would solve the app problem and may, maybe perhaps make that a little more popular. And, and really, it's that user experience that we all want. I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. That's just what Carl wants. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Carl should get what Carl wants. <laughs> Definitely. But, you know, a big part of this is just recognizing the OS itself, the cur- the kernel and stuff. It doesn't matter that much anymore. Right. You know, why would you care if it was Windows on the phone, if it looked like a Windows phone, and it did all the things you wanted it to do? Yeah, it smells like a duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of duck references in this show. I'm not sure why. <laughs> oh, But, you know, the, I think the bigger thing here, and this sort of gets back to what our, our uh, comment uh, from Scott Nimrod was this. We're hitting a point in mobile development where cross-plot's what matters. You know, we I don't think people are all pursuing Angry Birds and Flappy Bird anymore. Like, that's sort of a looking back thing. That gold rush is over. Now that the market penetration is as huge as it is, every business wants an app. And it's got to run on their customers' phones. And you want to make it as inexpensive as possible to get that app built. Yep. And it doesn't seem to be a good answer. How would you tackle that problem, Rocky? Like, if you had that responsibility, build for this little company, you know, Magenta gets hired to, for this little company, make us an app that lets our customers interact with us on their phones, no matter the phone. Generally, we either recommend is a strong word. What we do is discuss with that customer the different options, which primarily center around Cordova or Xamarin. Right. And... You know, then our experience on on the cost benefit and performance uh, perspectives of using those two different tool sets. Um, 
uh, Cordova uh, has been around longer and has uh, a little more, you know, people have a little more comfort with it, but it definitely has its challenges. I think it supports more devices too, right? Yeah. Well, and I think it's really the case. I agree with the whole idea that the gold rush is over, but also we're, I think, entering a period where um, the mobile space, all these devices have gotten mature enough or perceived to be mature enough mm-hmm. that companies are starting to say, you know, we really could think about running mission critical or enterprise apps on some of these. It's, it's not just uh, you know, email and web browsing and making telephone calls and playing angry birds. It's, it's, you know, now we really want to provide access to some of our uh, key corporate functionality so that our employees, even if they're on vacation can still do useful work. Yeah. Right. And, um, and that I think, honestly, I think we're at the very, very, very beginning of that transition and the next few years uh, to me, this is the most exciting part, frankly, is the next few years. Yeah will be really fun because after you've written a few windows forms apps, they kind of all look the same. Yep. And now all of us that have been doing that for years and years have the opportunity to learn how to uh, build these cross platform apps that have different, you know, that have to at least stretch from a normal monitor down to a three inch or five inch screen and deal with touch and fun challenges, right? Yeah. Really interesting stuff very powerful time and this is the thing i the whole thing with having dotnet everywhere when we really do have the dotnet core running on osx and linux and so forth i mean why wouldn't it run on every phone if we wanted it to right yeah Yeah. right maybe that's where we're going actually you know the core is really about server side stuff they haven't really talked about client side dotnet and making that open source they certainly have an open source xaml what if they did that what would that look like? Wow. Well, and that may, maybe that's the key to what we're talking about, which is um, how, how can we get some reasonably common um, XAML dialect that runs across Android, iOS, and Windows? And, and I think that ultimately that's the key to success of, of XAML. Maybe not C-sharp per se, because there's still a whole lot of business logic or, or service calls that you might share in common, but... At least today, you're not. You're gonna have to write your UI probably still three times. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure. But that's you know, and that's got more to do with creating a look and feel that's appropriate for the customer. If you're an iOS user, you expect your app to look like iOS, and if you're a an Android user, you expect your app to look like Android. Although they're just not that different from each other. No, they're really not. And if you look, uh, I, and I, and people keep saying that, but then I look at the Twitter apps and I look at, at, um, the, uh, Facebook apps and they're much more consistent to themselves than yes. they are to each individual platform. Mm-hmm. And I think it's cause those brands are, you know, as big a brand as Apple is, it's not as big as Facebook for most people. Yeah. And so if you're a Facebook user, and you pick up a Windows phone, an Android phone, or an iPhone, you kind of want the Facebook experience. You don't really want an Apple experience. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, I mean, Apple's arguably one of the biggest brands in the entire world, but Facebook's right up there. Mm-hmm. But in the context of I want to, you know, people go to Facebook on their phone. They expect the Facebook experience. But it, but there's only so many Facebooks and LinkedIn's of the and Twitters of the world for 
you know, I keep thinking chiropractor. I don't know why, <laughs> right? For the chiropractor that wants an app on people's phones to remind them of their appointments and things like that, which I think is a really good idea. Yeah. You know, like this is an app and that reminds you of the exercise you're supposed to do. Like this stuff I could do to make my customers of my chiropractic practice happier through their phones. That would make my business more valuable. No two ways about it. What do they expect? Do they expect the chiropractor branding on that? Or do they expect it to look like an iOS app, Android app? Yeah, but look, if can I take this in a slightly different angle? Cause Go it, for it, it please. Because yeah. uh, my metaphors are terrible. But but uh, no, I'll use your analogy, though. Because analogy. Can, can any given chiropractor afford to create a decent app to do all yeah. the cool stuff? Yeah. And the answer is probably no. Yeah. But um, somebody could create an app that is a software as a service with an app that they sell to all the chiropractors. Right. Right. And then they could actually afford to create three different user experiences that, um, provide the, you know, great native blah, 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 all that stuff. And it makes me think my brother-in-law works at a, at a resort, um, in far, far, far Northern Minnesota. And in the wintertime, they have all these fish houses that they put out on the Lake of the Woods. Right. And a couple of years ago, we were up there fishing and he said, hey, you know, uh, you're in computers. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. Always how it goes, right? Here it comes. Yeah, that's that sign. It's, I got to go. It's yeah, time it's to like, go. no, I'm not going to write you an app. <laughs> I only want 50%. And that was it, right? Couldn't you write an app to track the GPS locations of all these fish houses? Because right. they, they move them constantly trying to find the fish. And right. You know, and then they need to, you know, and all the resort staff have to know where they are. And he said, couldn't you do that? And I said, well, technically it could be done, but there's no possible way that this one resort could afford to pay for people to write this app. Right. right. No, maybe all the resorts along the uh, Canadian border on both the Canadian and U.S. sides that have these big ice fishing deals, if they pooled together, they could afford to write such an app. You know, but I think this comes... This too is a symptom of we've gone past the, uh, the, you know, fruit ninja angry birds deal and into right. the enterprise world where, um, the, the, you know, people quote unquote got rich in the gold rush on the, on the, you know, little consumer apps, but the, the scale of money involved in creating these actual business apps, it doesn't even measure up, right? It's no. way, way, way more money involved. But you know, back in the WinForms days, it was reasonable for the one vendor to get an app built. Well, and it still is today if you are willing to do it for one platform. Right. Hmm. It's the so we we just have not mitigated the cost across platform yet. Well, and that and I think the um the expectation of user experience um quality is way different from, you know, a Windows Forms app was written for your employees and your employees would like it or or not, but you were paying them, so what's it matter? Right. But your chiropractor app or, or these ice fishing apps or you know, whatever, they, all these things, um, you can't piss off your customers. Mm. Right. And so I do think, I, I really do think that it's still totally realistic to for a company, a smaller business, to say we're going to write a business app for our employees that might even be cross-platform, but is not going to be tailored for every platform. It's just going right. to be 
our thing. That's you know, and if and if you're finding that it's not the perfect iPhone app, well, then sucks to be you. Go get a new yeah, job. Yeah, too bad. Yeah. Well, you could still make that argument for that chiropractor app, right? Because it's the only one. There's not going to be a competing app. True. True. But such a business that's trying to sell it to the chiropractors, the chiropractors are going to turn around, look at it and say, well, I want you to be representing me in a really professional, shiny way. Rocky, have you looked into things like Unity 3D, which go to every platform and uh, now are starting to have some pretty sophisticated GUI tools? Oh, I wish I had the time. Yeah. On a high level, yes, because I love gaming and I always have these fantasies of of writing a game. I'm not talking about <laughs> writing a game. I'm talking about writing a business app because the GUI the GUI stuff is getting fairly sophisticated. Well, maybe I need to look further into that then. And you know, text boxes and list boxes and buttons and you know, the, you have the added benefit that when your user presses a button to select something in a list, you can make it explode. So. <laughs> <laughs> More sound effects in business software. Absolutely. That's what we need. That's right. Yeah, you delete takes on a whole new level, right? This is the next frontier in uh, user experience is the audio. Exactly. And it's not like we couldn't do that before, but we couldn't make nice looking explosions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> business apps, the more particle physics. I agree, Richard. <laughs> hey, you know, you laugh, but... This stuff is sneaking up on us. Yeah. It really is. This is something Billy's been talking about for the longest time is those visual hints of moving page to page so you know where stuff goes. There is a downside, though. I'll tell you the downside to using Unity or something like that. Big files. (laughs) Big files. Yeah, big downloads. Not like a, a little, you know, what's great about native apps is they're mostly code, you know. there's There are some resources, some pictures and things, but don't need all that extra overhead that the the gaming engine gives you. So you can, you know, slim that up and get it down to size and give me a a GUI that I can build and go everywhere and with the ease of XAML. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, it's really cool. You know, and some people out there saying, yeah, we have that. It's called Xamarin. (laughs) (laughs) But Rocky, have you been doing much development with Xamarin? How is it feeling these days? Because there's always been rough edges there. It's a complicated process. Well, there still are rough edges. Um, I, I think it depends, though, on whether you're building um, actual apps or uh, yeah, I spend a lot of my time doing framework stuff with CSLA. Right. Mm-hmm. And there it's not nearly so rough um, because it's you know 99.99% just code. And, um, and they're at that level very, very sophisticated and, and very complete. Not, you know, integrate nicely into Visual Studio. Probably the roughest part there is if you're doing iOS work that it has to cross or copy everything over to the Mac to compile it and, and copy the results back. Um, but when you do get into the UI level, yeah, it's definitely still um, rough and, and you have to know a lot about each of the platforms. And um, if you don't, you might get something that works but runs too slow to be practical. Right. You know, it, it, it's really, I think, no different from throughout all these years as every time that Microsoft has moved us from, you know, VB three to four to five to six to windows forms one to two and WPF every time 
the the biggest part of the learning curve and and the roughest part for everybody is learning all the new ins and outs of the different controls and you know yes you can make this control do a certain thing but it, you may not want to because it actually you know is a resource hog or you know all those things that you never figure out until you've actually sat down and and built a couple three apps and Xamarin is the same thing except that it's you know simultaneously hitting you for iOS and Android because the controls aren't quite identical and the behaviors aren't quite identical and so forth yeah still it's still a little tweaky to me and I've been working with it for quite a while there you just have to keep on top of it yeah well it's right and and I'm not sure that'll ever change because the right it's not like those underlying platforms um, are sitting still. No. And and what what does amaze me is that they're as stable as they are, given that they're constantly adding in support for these new watches and IoT devices. And yeah. You know, every every time you turn around, Xamarin's running somewhere else yep. that it wasn't yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <You know, laughs> I mean, I don't know. Those guys have my serious respect for being able to keep on top of so many things all at the same time. Didn't those guys write a .NET Rocks app that runs on Google Glass, Richard? I think they did. <laughs> I think Chris Hardy did that. Yeah, it was Chris Hardy, yeah. That was his demo, right? Yeah. Is he built he built that Xamarin app to play .NET Rocks and, and then showed it run on multiple platforms, and his final one was he whipped out his Google Glass and it ran there, too. Because yeah. <laughs> he's that cool. He's that guy. He's that guy. All right, Rocky, what's, uh, what's in your inbox? What are you going to be working on? Well, right at the moment, um, definitely working on uh, getting CSLA working with uh, universal Windows apps, um, which that actually turned out to be way easier than I thought. Awesome. We, we, UWP apps at the moment are WinRT apps. Nice. Um, <laughs> so I actually did a whole bunch of work to clean up some code and, you know, good stuff. But I was doing all this laying the groundwork so I could add in UWP support and then come to find out that I already had it. So <laughs> long story short, people who are moving from WPF, let's say, or Silverlight over to WinRT, still going to have some of those challenges like uh, like a reflection and some things that have to be done differently. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you're, if you've written reflection level code, you're going to have to adapt to deal with the, uh, the WinRT model of reflection and for better or worse. So I, I remember working on a wiki back when, uh, WinRT first, uh, came on the scene after that first build. And there was a whole bunch of things that were in the works and some things that were, you, were still not there. Did a lot of those get filled in or are there still multiple pain points? I think for most people, there are not very many pain points anymore. That's good. For, for people like me that are, you know, where CSLA dives down into some of the bowels of, of .NET, mm. you know, there's definitely some pain points, but for your, for just normal, you know, business level code and so forth. No, I think they filled in most of the gaps and, and for the most part, people aren't, yeah, that's the great thing. You know, I mean, UWP because it is essentially WinRT is three, four years old now, mm-hmm. so it's you know become pretty stable. Um, the fact that nobody's jumped on it to really use it hasn't impacted that. I think <laughs> it's 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 ready for us all to go there. It's just a question of is it actually worth it to go there, or do you want to stick with WPF 
and just be careful to write your code so that you don't use any .NET features that wouldn't run on Xamarin. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. That sounds like another show. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Rocky, that's where we're going to leave it. Thanks very much for talking to us, man. This was fun. Thank you. All right. Stay well, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a